Grace Scott! I declare bankruptcy! Bears eats Battlestar Galactica. Depression? Isn't that just a fancy word for feeling bummed out? Why you ignorant slut? Not only the years we've been at war, but from the moment as a child when we realized that the world could be conquered. You're listening to Great Scott, the Office Podcast. I'm Jay Ray, and with me is my deskmate, Jacob. Hey, how's it going, everybody? We are here. We are ready to <laughs> talk about the Office. At least I am. I don't know if Jay Ray is. No, I'm, uh, yeah, it's also, you know, uh, listeners who are dedicated and love our show will know that I moved and I've been in multiple different rooms since I've started recording and now I'm really close to my final setup here. So I'm in what we are now calling the game room, right? Okay. Uh, I have a scissor arm for the Yeti mic that I'm using that is uh, C-clamped to my coffee table where I've got the laptop that is running our chatting software, right? Right. I'm using a Logitech webcam that I just have propped up on my fancy tripod that is not connected. It's just sitting on it. And that's leading kind of awkwardly on the table. You know, this is, I'll show it. It's okay. So there we go. Uh, you see, so I got my uh, tripod there sitting on the table that has my feet. And then I got the laptop. Yep. And then I got this other laptop in my lap with my notes. So, I mean, it looks real cozy because I'm like hanging out on this couch, but I'm actually like, I feel like I'm in like a TIE fighter, you know? And if you want to see J-Ray's setup, uh, you can visit us on our YouTube. And I guess I can show off my setup too. So I'm in what used to be an old wine cellar. So you can see the stuff back here. That's my one of my curling brooms. Uh, and my very old Asus. Say hi to, to J-Ray. Got my mixer over here. And my awesome mic, I guess, Audio-Technica, that's very nice. Uh, yeah, and it's just kind of ghetto. Yeah, <laughs> and you got all my soundproofing around here. That's This is my master's hood. I got for getting my MBA and got more soundproofing on the roof. So, yeah, that's uh, that's my setup. Yeah, that is a reason to tune into the YouTube channel, at least for the first two minutes of the show, to check out all this private stuff that we showed you. But, um, yeah. Yeah, so it's nice because I don't have this leaning tower of <laughs> tables that I had last week that caused me to have like computers on top of computers. So it feels more comfortable. I just can't move at all. And actually, I can't technically see your face, but I suppose I could do the, uh, I could switch this. But yeah, anyways, <laughs> we're doing great. <laughs> there we go. So, okay, yeah. So uh, we, we're getting into an interesting section of episodes because we start off with the new boss. Mm-hmm. Which is written by Lee Eisenberg and Gene Sipinski and directed by Paul Feig, who, I mean, yeah, these guys have or their hands in all these episodes, which makes sense because they almost feel like one large episode instead of four, four independent episodes. Right. So the new boss is where we start. So, yeah, uh, we show up with. This the it's Michael's fifteenth anniversary party, and so he is like, all right, he wants everything, like all this classical stuff. And Jim, being Jim, 
is in a full tux. Not just classical, classy stuff. Classy stuff, you That's know. Right. Yeah. In Jim, like, is just giving Dwight House, like, is it classy enough? Is it classy enough? And so everything that that Dwight says, Jim manages to turn around and get it to Michael as if it's his idea. Right. Well, and I got to say, so is that how Jim would actually wear a tux? Because he looks kind of goofy. You know, he's got the slick back hair and stuff. And I feel like, uh, I mean, we've seen him go to parties before, right? He went to that party at David Wallace's that was a little bit fancier. Right, but it um, wasn't tux, fan- tux fancy. That's fair. He just looks kind of goofy. He looks like well, a James I- Bond wannabe. Yeah, but I mean, he's... I mean, he's also kind of a tall, lanky dude, you know, like, and tuxes sort of accentuate that kind of stuff. So, I mean, I mean, John, yeah, John Krasinski, I mean, he's, what, like 6'2"? Yeah, no, he's a tall dude. So he's just going to kind of look lanky regardless, right? Right. And, you know, they don't call them monkey suits for nothing. That's true. I haven't heard that in a long time, but that is an accurate nickname for them. He's 6'3", so yeah, I mean, he's just a tall dude. Well, and he's like gangly because I'm 6'3", yeah. but I'm a bit thicker. So, uh, I right, don't, I like don't Rain think Wilson, I'm a whoppy. Yeah. Rain Wilson is 6'2", so essentially the same height, right. and he doesn't look nearly as tall as Jim does because yeah, he's yeah. You know, a bit more beefy. Right. Man, that's tall for Hollywood. Like, most people who are actors are pretty short. Yeah, there's all types of, you know, Tom Cruise is always wearing, like, two-inch thick-soled boots or something when he's shooting scenes with all, like, the tall, attractive ladies that are in all of his movies, you know? Right. Yeah, because, like, because Emily Blunt, who is Mrs. Krasinski, is 5'7", and Tom Cruise is 5'7", so anytime, because they were in, um... Edge of Tomorrow. Edge of Tomorrow, right. I, yeah. There's a very similar name, Star Trek the next no, Star Trek the original series, City on the Edge of Forever. That's what I was thinking of, but I, I can very different. Right, right. So yeah, anyway, so he yeah, he looks like a weird dude and he eventually just messes with Dwight to the point that he's just pissed off. Right. right? Um Yeah, it's not it's not a bad joke, but um this is one of the few cold opens that takes place during that episode and the repercussions of his jokiness will be seen in the episode, right? Right, right. Yeah, it's, the, it's one of the only times where his pranking backfires big time. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so yeah. Oh, good. So the shtick of the episode is that we are meeting a new boss for Dunder Mifflin Scranton. Right. Uh, Idris Alba, who is playing the character of Charles Minor, is coming, and he is, um, you know, he's basically the new director of sales, which is basically what Jan and Ryan did, right? Um, so he's coming down from New York, and he's apparently making the rounds at all these different locations to, like, you know, say what's up to all the different branches and get a feel for them, since he's going to be, uh, you know, the uh, the next go to person, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so Michael is uh, has this very grand welcoming gesture planned, which are basically bagels cut to C shapes. Right. Yeah, this is like back when 
Idris Elba was everywhere because this was right around the time that Thor came out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was doing everything. Yeah, he was and, only you Prometheus know, still around that time. Yeah, yeah. and there's um, there's certain actors that no matter what they do, I always like put in additional things whenever they talk like uh vigo mortensen mm. like, whenever he says anything all i can do is mentally put in mr anderson at the end oh, so yeah. he's like the red skull of captain america he's like oh captain america mr anderson or whatever and he just elbows kind of that way because i i do love the movie pacific rim oh, it's sure. not it's not a great movie mm. like there's plot holes that you could drive a bus through. Right. But I love it. It's great. But I all I can hear is is he just Alba saying Ranger. Ranger. You that. just that's all I can like, I put that at the end of every sentence. Ranger. I see. That's why all of this setup has happened, so you can do that. Yeah. I uh when I was listening to it before the show started, I thought it was Aaron Eckhart saying Rachel from the Dark Knight. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that's oh. super random. But he says like Ranger like at the end of every sentence. So it feels like in that in that yeah. uh, movie. <laughs> um, just a quick uh, edit from what you had said, Mister Jacob. You said Viggo Mortenstein, um, but I think you meant Hugo Weaving. Oh, yep, yep. You're right. I meant Hugo Weaving. I was waiting for an Aragorn quote or something like that, and then you started saying, "I was like, wait, he's in the Matrix." Sorry. Yeah, well, I was. I can never keep those two together. Weird names. Yeah. yeah, it's definitely yeah. It's it's always hard watching V for Vendetta because mm. all I can all I can see is you know Agent Smith. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, you're just an evil program behind that mask. Yep. Well, I'm I'm listening to uh, one of the audiobooks for Lord of the Rings right now too. So uh, you know, there's a guy who's speaking as Elrond or whatever, and I'm always thinking of Hugo Weaving. And I'm thinking, no, that's what Elrond sounds like. And I'm like, Elrond looks like Agent Smith. Uh, so it's uh, it's weird because he's supposed to be like this angelic, soft-spoken, elvish man. And I'm still thinking he's a computer virus in the Matrix that's multiplying himself. <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> so we got these C-shaped bagels. No one ends up eating them, really. But, um, you know, that's his... Um, it's his welcome gift to Charles. Um, he also makes some jokes about how he's Prince Charles Minor. Like he does that thing that he does to Daryl where he just makes like kind of grasping at straws references to other nicknames. Right. And you kind of get the feeling because Michael sends Dwight into the, into the break room with everybody and tells him to stall. Mm-hmm. You feel like he would was just like ripping apart bagels really yeah. fast yeah. in the conference room. It's true. I mean, because I know we see them, but I'm trying to remember. Because is it two bagel halves, right? And it's just missing a chunk, like Pac Man style? Yeah. 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 It's great. (laughs) So, you know, then we get like, you know, because apparently, you know, well, Idris Elba, good looking dude. So, you know, Kelly's just like, wow, he's like a black George Clooney. Which, you know what? I would watch an Idris Elba helm the remake of Ocean's Eleven. I'd watch that. I don't know if I'd watch that. <laughs> I've seen enough of them. Well, you know, if you want to see Idris Elba in a good crime movie, Rock and Roller by Guy Ritchie. That's a good one. It's a good mm-hmm. one. Great one. I mean, it's basically Snatched or Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. Just a bigger budget. 
but right. worth checking out. Um, yeah, so Charles comes in and, you know, as he introduces himself, Jim, like, gets this face and he has to approach Michael during some downtime, uh, you know, saying, I wish you had told me that this dude is coming in because I look like an idiot. Um, but of course, because of the joke that he was doing earlier, Michael's like, no, you look great. Dynamite. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. He doesn't get get it, but this could be a bad impression. Right, right. So so this obviously goes off really well and gets him and Charles off on a bad foot that is always bad. Like, they never recover, mm-hmm. you know? But do you think if Jim had just played it off, like, no big deal if it would have happened? Like, if instead of going to Charles, because he goes to Charles and tries to explain it. Yeah, that's a good question. Like, if he had, like, kind of been the guy in the tuxedo, but then stopped trying to, like, win Charles over. Right, right. If he had just not said why he was doing it, just did it. Would you think he would have, do you think it would have been so awkward for him? Yeah, probably not, I guess. Because if we think about Stanley, right? Stanley gets caught playing uh, with his crossword puzzles or whatever during one of the meetings in one of these episodes. And um, Stanley's never in the crosshair the same way that Jim is moving forward. And I feel like Jim's been digging his own grave a bit, right? Really does not like Jim. Yeah. Um, But yes, Charles shows up. Yeah, and he's like, he's so there's a lot of uh, changes happening. At, yeah, he's all business. He's yeah. not fucking around. He's like, look, no more, no more overtime unless approved by corporate, which is weird because we see it later on where um, Kevin is asking about overtime, mm-hmm. and you would assume they'd be salaried, right? You would assume the accounts would be salaried. That's a good point. Yeah, most because, of those people probably would be, aside from like sales, right? Right, but in you taught in like, well, I wouldn't even be surprised if like the sal they have a salary base and then they have commission and not right. hourly. So it seems like the overtime is really bizarre for the office workers because there's an episode I'm trying to remember exactly which one, but where Michael says he doesn't get paid by the hour, get paid by the year in terms of, um. Him being salary. Him being salary and overtime. So it seems just like an odd, odd thing that overtime would really apply because, you know, I'm salary and I don't, I mean, overtime, there is no such thing as overtime for me. Yeah, I am not salary. I get paid hourly. Um, And I've been at my job for six years, but there are people who are salary there. So I don't really, so I could see, I suppose. Uh, depending on how they equate those positions in terms of like authoritative stance, maybe like lower level positions would be because um, Angela's head of the accounting department, right? Maybe she's the only salaried one. Maybe, maybe. maybe. Like I said, it just seemed like odd to me. Yeah. Uh, Dunder Mifflin is going to be no longer matching their four hundred one k. Yep. Which that's a pretty big. I mean, that, that's tough. Uh, that's a that's a tough one to swallow because that's like. The big out of all the benefits out there, that's probably the biggest benefit out there in corporate America. That and like medical insurance, right? Right. Um, and then no more uh, other expenses, like you know, frivolous spending, like parties. Like parties. Yeah, that's and, a big one. <laughs> yeah, we we get to it later, but I'll get to it now. Where it it comes out that Wallace himself killed michael's party right right it's uh it's like man that's uh 
that's a dick move. Like, like just give him his party. Come on. And it's his 15th. He has done the shit for the company. He could have sunk under Mifflin when he was with Jam, but he didn't. Like, just give the dude his party. Give yeah. him money for his party. Well, it's crazy, too, because this season kind of goes out of its way to showcase Michael's um, kind of savior status to the company, right? They have, right. Him, go, they have him go on the lecture circuit. Um, he goes on the business trip because, you know, this Holly thing is such a a blow and they want to make Michael happy so much so that they'll send him to Canada, you know, for whatever reason. I mean, even the last episode with the golden ticket, um, ultimately – it ended up being a good move that was going to get the creator of the idea some type of reward. Right. And that was botched up because Michael's a clown. But, um, <laughs> you know, so this whole season, he's really showcasing his uh, essentialness to the company. So to not give him his 15-year thing does seem weird. And Michael's in the total right by the end of this episode when, um, you know, mm. yeah. Yeah, this is this is what I like to refer to as a uh, a Tiger Woods situation, because the reason well, one of the reasons that Tiger got caught from for all of his cheating he was doing was because he just wasn't paying off the one girl who wanted more money. It's like when you're in a position like this, you just got to pay the person to keep them from getting too pissed off. Well, there you go. Life advice by Jacob. <laughs> Add it to the wiki. Yeah. It's it's not a like you don't ever want to be there, but if you're there, do it well, right. It's true because not well. I mean, I think ideally, corporate America doesn't want to have an individual in a position who is below them to hold any cards, right? And in this instance, Michael really does hold all these cards, right? So, so to your point, why not you know placate some things even to some small degree? So that he doesn't do what he ends up doing that causes I mean, the rest of the season to kind of shape yeah, the way like, it is. Yeah. I know they're, you know, times are tight, which is, you know, pretty, pretty normal thing, you know. But could you imagine how happy Michael would have been if David Wallace had called him and be like, hey, we're going to give you 500 extra dollars for your party? Yeah. He would have been over the moon. Right. You know, and probably would have just, not care too much about what, you know, Charles was doing, at least not right away. You know, he probably would have bought it a lot sooner. So right. just pay, pay him. You know, sometimes it's better just to give somebody the money and move on. Yeah, no, that's a good point. They messed up. Faux show. Um, so let's see. Uh, eventually... The party planning committee meets anyways, right? Right. Um, BBC. Yeah. So everything's kind of weird. Um, actually, I believe before the PPC meets uh, is that weird interaction where Michael ends up doing the repeat insults, right? Yes. Um, he skipped the Ace Ventura talking butt and he never skips it according to Pam. Because <laughs> uh, Kevin goes up to ask for... Uh, permission to do overtime because he <laughs> did the first two months of the year in the wrong year in their accounting book. I mean, l- yes. I mean, you can't do that as an accountant, but we've all made that kind of mistake where we're like looking at the wrong calendar. Right. Right. Whatnot. But. Um, 
So Charles overhears it. Michael trying to pull some type of power move says, it's cool. You know, you don't right. need corporate permission. It's just mine. Uh, right. And then he does the um, repeat what Charles says thing. And everyone's like, dude, stop. stop. Yeah. <laughs> he's real bad. He's like, you have to stop what you are doing. Yeah. Um, so it diffuses only in that Michael says he's kidding and then calls for the party planning committee. And for whatever reason, against better judgment, Pam and Jim go in there. Right. Maybe it's sort of a, you know, trying to get back to business as usual kind of move where they're just like, well, let's see what happens. Yeah. I mean, I can understand Pam doing it because she's not really going to get in any trouble, right? I mean, she's just the secretary. You right. know, presumably based on how or, or very little trouble. valuable. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, and she's not sales. Right. And again, Michael as being the boss. Everything could be blamed as Michael is telling them to do this thing. Right. But yeah, exactly. So, but I mean, Mike or Jim would obviously get more in trouble than Pam right. would. Uh, um, so, so he asked Phyllis, uh, Charles asked Phyllis, what is the PPC? And Phyllis is kind of feeling still a little burned about the whole. Yeah, just threw uh, everyone thing. under the bus. Yeah. So he we learned about um, multiple, <laughs> multiple cakes with multiple strippers holding multiple cupcakes. Right. And the reverse petting zoo where the animals pet you back. Yep. Which I have no idea what that would look like. Yeah. Like what animal, like, I mean, we've all seen those gifts where the animals like curl up with the people, but I'm like, I'm not sure how you would pull off a reverse petting zoo. Yeah. I don't know, but I bet you that was about as far as I got in its uh, explanation. And Michael was just like, I'm sold. Let's do it. Done. <laughs> Great idea. Yeah. Um, there, there's, I know a lot of zoos do this, but you can do this behind the scenes get to play with the animals tour at um the san diego zoo mm. so one year I'm, we're actually gonna do that but that's way down the line because it's not not cheap but it would be really yeah. cool to, like go chill with the tigers and shit assuming they don't like eat my face i was gonna say yeah there's a caveat there for sure <laughs> <laughs> so one thing we do learn about uh charles minor is that he comes out of steel Sequoia which too. Sequoia Steel, which you know Michael originally thinks is just like I don't know what he thought it was, but he started talking about how like oh African Americans have such you know great names for things. <laughs> like, uh, well, because you know, so he says uh, so after he has a phone call with David, where David is like really firm about you have to talk to Charles. Charles is now your guy who will answer things. Michael, right. yeah, Michael decides to call this meeting to you know kind of get to know each other. Um, and that's where he kind of, he kind of goes on to a bit where he says, you know, Ryan only came to do his laundry and Jan came when she was feeling a little frisky, you know? Um, so he's like, the first thing he's like, is tell me something that you've never told anybody. And he just starts rattling off things. So one is what's your wife's name followed by where did you work previously? So Michael, for whatever reason, thinks he's answering question number two as opposed to question number three or whatever. And it's. I guess, yeah. So, but I mean, it's still. But, it's, I mean, Michael's a racist, right? He doesn't. He doesn't understand <laughs> other cultures aside from his own. So, right. And like, uh, minor coming 
It's weird saying mine than steel. It's just throwing my head off. Mm-hmm. But Charles Minor coming out of steel actually really does um, inform his personality a bit. Because mm. if you have people goofing off in a steel mill, people die. Right. Right. So, you know, it makes sense that someone who was, granted, he came out of accounting, but still. Right. Steel places tend to be a bit more no nonsense. Mm-hmm. Especially anywhere with production facilities in general, tend, you know, where people can really get hurt. Right. I'm not saying, you know, the bailer won't eat somebody, but it's not as likely that the bailer will eat somebody as something bad happening in a steel mill. Right. Yeah, that's fair. In, you know, we we finally get to this retcon we've been talking about forever where um, Jim comes in trying to smooth it over with Miner again. Mm-hmm. And he's like, yeah, I'm the, you know, as the number two. And me, and Charles says, I didn't know that position existed. So maybe, you know, as the, in the reorg, they just moved Jim and didn't tell him. I mean, that's possible. But, you know, Jim's like trying to explain it. And we know for a fact that Jim had number two level power. It happens. We see it in season three. Uh, we see it in season four when uh, when they go to the uh, the job within job fair because mm-hmm. you know because Dwight says when you know Michael's gone Jim's in charge when Jim's gone I am in charge and I say we're staying until five or whatnot. Right, right. So it's really bizarre that this is a retcon to me. Yeah, I don't. Um, I remember the first time watching it too. I was like confused. I was like, is Jim just really poorly explaining it and Charles just doesn't know. And then why isn't Jim more forceful about it? Like, why is he explaining it so stupidly? Cause he's like, um, you know, he's, uh, it was a made up position for Dwight, but then I took it over as opposed to explaining that he was the number two in Stanford and then was offered the number two to come back to screen. Like that seems to be right, the more logical. If you had said it. when they merged the branches, I was put in, as the second in command by Jan. Right. And I mean, unless something happened with Ryan where Ryan demoted him, which I could see happening. Right. Uh, But that, but that's the thing that happens during that episode with the golfing. Right. Right. So yeah, I'm just not sure what happened. Yeah. It's weird. And it's not your office writers, dear Gene Stepinski. Please, uh, please explain this to me. Yeah, I mean, it seems like another one of those things where they wanted to do the callback to Assistant 2, right? Right. Um, and they wanted to really make sure that the audience was aware that Charles and Jim aren't going to get along. Right. Kind of at the expense of, like, this whole story arc. Yeah, well, it's weird. I mean, there's definitely a watershed between 4 and 5, you know, because we do get some new writers and things. And so there's a lot of retcons in five in season five that hold true through nine. Right. I mean, there there's a very distinct break in continuities between one, two, three, and four, and five through nine. Mm-hmm. I mean, even the show feels a lot different. Like I was something I was Worse. noticing while watching these episodes. <laughs> right. Is that the way they end episodes gets a lot different? It becomes a lot different. Mm. Like. Yeah, they just end differently. Right. And, like, they just have a different feel to them. 
So the end of the episode kind of rolls around and Michael's like, he he just berates Charles because he's all pissed off at him. Uh, you know, saying that, look, ball, balls canceled your party. Tough luck. This is how things are going to be. Um, let's do, you know, and he's, he's like, do you even know how paper is made? You don't put it in a furnace. If you did, it would burn. Yeah. And he's like, I'm going to New York City. So he barges in looking for for uh, David Wallace, and he finds him in the executive washroom. Uh, and he's like, "Oh, is this the meeting you've been?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. It and and Mike just quits. Like David tries to placate him, and he's just like, "Nope, I quit. Screw you, I quit." You have no idea how high I can. I can. <laughs> Yeah, and, and it's just another weird situation. So, you know, I talked about watching Jim bury himself deeper, and it's just really weird and frustrating to watch, which is kind of the essence of The Office, right? The Office was bringing back that really awkward workplace kind of aesthetic that we we're all used to, but we're allowed to laugh at. Uh, so we see Jim do this, and then we kind of see David do it too. Uh, where he is just totally missing the point of Michael showing up. And to be fair, I don't think Michael really understood the full extent of how upset he was and why he was upset, right? He thinks it's just because he doesn't want to work with Charles the way that it seems to be established. Uh, But as David is kind of explaining how he's like, he gets it, have the figs, whatever, uh, Michael is realizing that like, He's not being treated with that respect that someone of his status should be treated as within this company. Right. And even though there is sort of that hierarchy with that VP in the middle, Mm. I mean, it's like, like you said earlier, it's been so established in this season that basically Michael is propping the company up like Scram Branch because it now holds, you know, a big territory is the branch in the company they're the only one making money right so they're the and michael's gone to bat for the company so many times that he feels like and so i can understand how he feels right like like i said earlier you know wallace went to michael and put the pressure on him to not sell out dunder mifflin for the money because i think um I mean, if Michael doesn't do what Michael does, Jan wins. Right. And it probably sinks Dunder Mifflin sooner because a $4 million settlement, I mean, it's not a ton of money in corporate America, but, you know, when you're struggling like that, it's a lot of money. Well, and then, you know, uh, I mean, I guess it would depend what the uh, rules were around that particular case in terms of what could be known publicly. Um, but if that settlement was released to the public and we know they have shareholders because it's a public right. company, you know, seeing this kind of inner turmoil with ex-employees suing the company could also kind of like tank. Oh, it'd be too. right. Especially for, you know, firing, quote unquote, firing somebody for getting their breath boobs done. Right. Look really bad on the company. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't. I mean, for goodness sakes, Michael put off having a family, Jacob. I know. He didn't have kids. <laughs> Wallace just looks at him like, uh... He's like, we never asked you to do this? Uh... But, that you know, there is probably... Whoops. 
There goes the webcam. There's probably some truth to Michael putting Dunder Mifflin in front of dates and stuff. Granted, mm-hmm. we probably probably not too often, but you could see it hat where he puts more time into the company than his personal life. Right. And you know, to be fair, there is some delusion there, right? How he treats mm-hmm. the employees as like his family per se. But uh yeah, I mean it's it's just true that Michael lives and breathes Dunder Mifflin, you know? Right. Um, so yeah, this kind of slight is is just kind of the last straw in the whole thing. And it's really it's a nice moment. There's not a lot of times where Michael is an adult and does adult things in his own like actual good interest. Um, so to see him do it is is just kind of like a nice thing. And he has that moment where he closes the door and he like waves because it's not like a hateful thing that he's doing, you know. Like, obviously, he's mad, but it's not, like, because he, you know, thinks this place is the worst place. It's just, like, they no longer see eye to eye. So, he gives us a nice little innocent wave through the glass and walks away because, like, you know, Michael's a nice guy. Maybe racist. Maybe a little assaulty. Probably would have gotten fired if people were paying attention, but he's a nice guy. Yeah. (laughs) So, he quits, and that's pretty much the end of the episode. Uh, the that we we get to see the last bit where Kelly and Angela are running around the parking lot in the rain with a scarf, trying to return it to Charles to you know. So apparently Kelly is dumpster diving when in terms of companionship, according to Angela. Well, she would be the dumpster or the contents of the dumpster, but right, Charles is going the dumpster diving. Right, right, and yeah. so like I don't know, it just seems odd, like. I mean, I, I get why Angela would be attracted to him and, you know, not just, you know, because it's Idris Elba, but she likes powerful men with, you know, strong, powerful men. That's really her thing. And so, you know, it, he, this is this vice president and she's single and he's single and, you know, all this kind of stuff. So the, the attraction there makes sense from Angela's part. And on Kelly's part, because Kelly just really likes hot people. So. Right. And well, Ryan, apparently. And it's been established that Angela's got a thing for, like, men, right? When, right. When Dwight's, like, being uh, a mean man to uh, Meredith's kid or um, any time that there's, like, a sign of authority, which Charles definitely shows, especially when Michael loses his cool before Charles does, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yes, it's definitely part of it. Um, according to the office wikia, it says there's two goofs in this episode. Number one being this whole uh, number two position discrepancy that we were talking about. So we're not the only people, Jacob. A lot of people are very concerned about it. Uh, the second one, apparently, uh, many fans were under the assumption that Michael said, I acquit when he quit. And uh, Jenna Fisher's MySpace blog had to confirm that Michael did, in fact, say, I quit. So I'll have to rewatch that episode. Yeah, that's a blasty, from reflection. blasty from the pasty. I know. Right? MySpace blog. I mean, what was this? 2009. So I was, I mean, this is like near the end. I mean, Facebook mm-hmm. is two, three years in and it's becoming like a thing. So yeah. I, yeah. I got my Facebook like in like 
2005, six. So by this point, they're pretty much the de facto. Anyways, so, yeah. what are you going to give this episode? <sighs> Jacob, Jacob, Jacob. You know, I think I'm just going to give it like a, a nice even three out of five. I acquits. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, it's a, uh, it's good and it's got a lot of good story stuff, but the whole, I, I don't like seeing people sad. <laughs> so most of the stress that Michael feels throughout the episode isn't super fun to watch, but it's, it's, it's a well done episode and it takes the show into a direction that, uh, I don't know if it needed to go, but I mean, it sets up a lot, you know? Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, right. And that's probably... This is a setup episode. This bill, like, this kicks off the rest of the season. Essentially, every episode from here to the end of the season is be you know is really kicked off because of this episode. It sets all the players in place. We get Michael quitting, so Michael Scott Paper Company, et cetera, et cetera. So I like you. I gave it a three out of five C-shaped bagels. Nice. It's got 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 some ratingception in there. If anyone's a fan of community <laughs> uh so up next we've got um episode 21 two weeks uh written by aaron shore and directed by paul lieberstein so even this is a bit of a retcon right because michael did not give his two weeks he quit right so unless there was something in there about hey would you please stay for the two weeks so we can get you know that's what I have, yeah. That's what I had to assume is that there was a conversation after where someone from David's office pleaded with Michael to be like, "Hey, you know, do this thing." Um, but right, the way it's phrased, he said, "I I quit." So I quit. Yes, um, and this is essentially, even with the way it opens, is essentially part two of New Boss. Mm-hmm. Right, because it opens with Michael telling this story, and he's just drawing it out for everything he can. Right, uh, there's this great talking head of pain, which is like he has a story we all want to hear, and she knows it. <laughs> well, the way she phrases it too is like it sounds like Michael's always trying to tell stories, but they're like they end with like such nonsense, you know? Right, right. I mean, I feel like they're probably stories that end halfway through this story, like where he says, well, I was in the wrong building. And like, <laughs> that would normally be his punchline. But here it's like an additive kind of detail that people are like on the edge of their seat to hear. Right. And, you know, Oscar is all about, you know, he's like, I love a good quitting story. It makes me feel like I have power. I know that's such a bummer line. I feel that way well, too. <laughs> all right. But here's my question about Oscar. Uh-huh. Why doesn't he quit? I mean, he's, Wait, from all from all indications, a very talented accountant. Yeah, I mean, if if you're in college looking for a degree, listeners, and you want to make good money, just go be an accountant. I mean, that's just all. It, I mean, he got to be. He could probably walk into a job the next day with as many years' experience as he has and everything else. So I don't get why he doesn't just move on. Well, you know, he's good with his money, right. all that other stuff. So. Well, I will say, I mean, in this episode, we're introduced to a man who is interviewing for regional manager, and he exclaims himself how difficult it is for 
uh, you know, people looking for a job, and he's actually from Philadelphia, I think. Right, but even in this point in time, getting an accounting job was pretty easy. I mean, that was one of the few jobs that that uh, you that there's just always jobs for. Well, so my mom recently moved to Wilkesbury. Um, okay, which is is she going to be a Wilkesbury screen hockey fan? Well, that my so my brother uh, has also moved out, which is why I have this fancy room. And uh, so he went to Steamtown Mall over the weekend and was just sending me pictures of all the different places in there. Um, and he was just like, send a picture with a caption from the show. That's all he was doing all weekend. He sent That's a picture awesome. of the, yeah, the Electric City sign and all that jazz. But um, but what I think is, I mean, there's it's still a pretty secluded area, you know? So, you know, obviously there's like all the different types of businesses in that office park that I assume he could apply to. Right. But how many like corporate places are out I mean, there, you know, cause you, you're, you're in Pittsburgh. I'm, I'm five minutes out of the city. Talked about transferring already. Right. It seems like, I don't know. It just seems odd to me. It seems like if he really wanted a new job, which I, I think that's the issue is he doesn't really want a right. new job, right. but it just seems like if he wanted one, he could do it. Yep. That's fair. What are you saying? I don't want a new job, Jacob. No, you, no, I'm just saying. Psychoanalyze me, bro. I'm trying to, try to psychoanalyze a fictional character. All right, all right. Well, I see too many parallels. I too am brown, and my talents would be used during baseball season. <laughs> all right, so, uh, so he's telling this story, and he's in the wrong building. Doesn't know how to use a sliding door. Finally quits. Everybody's oot and odd. Oscar's very sad, just like me. And um, so he's in this like two week senioritis kind of right. Well, he's already done a week, so a week has passed since he right. gave right. his notice. So this is the Monday of week number two. I mean, he is drunk. He's drunk. His tie is askew. His hair is unkempt. He's just fucking with people everywhere he's putting his glass in front of their face and he's making jokes and it's it's crazy because he does seem to have like a slight fear of charles um but charles is like just in the next room you know so michael's like i don't know i guess there must be a, a bit of a confidence coming with like knowing you're out of there there's not much they could do to you otherwise um but like I mean, fireable offense, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. That's something I was going to bring up is like, if he wanted to, if he wanted cause to fire him, being drunk at work is cause. Unless there's some odd rule about not not about it at right. Dunder Mifflin, but I mean, every job I've ever worked, that was a big no-no. Yeah, so... <laughs> He's like bugging people or whatever. And, um, you know, Jim eventually is like, why don't you try to find a job? (laughs) Um, And he goes on this, Michael goes on this bit about how a person of his caliber is already being headhunted. Right. Right. People are looking, people are aware that he's available and will be calling him any minute with all types of wonderful job opportunities or whatever. Again, showing that Michael has no idea how the uh, the job market works. Yeah. 
Do we know uh, how old Michael is here? He's what, 40-ish? 40-something, yeah. So he's essentially been with Dunder Mifflin since his mid to late 20s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If we assume he's on his early side of 40, it's probably like 25 or so when he started working there. Yeah. Yeah, so he, yeah, he's no, no, does no idea what's going on. He thinks way too much of himself. I mean, honestly, you know, if he were to really try, he probably would get some calls. Semi, well, not, not, not in this point in our country's history because of the recession. Right. Um, I, I'm looking at your notes here, Jacob, and you got Scotch and Splenda. Yeah. Um, I'm not a big drinker. But apparently, you also believe that Michael has bad taste in scotch. Well, if you look at the, uh, well, okay, we see him with scotch a few times. In this episode, if you look at the scotch he has, it's, I'm pretty sure it's in a plastic jug. Okay. Like, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a label I don't recognize. Right. <laughs> and it's large, which, like, I, uh, I was at this bar once. Here, Jacob story time. I was at this bar once and, the owner and a friend of his got into a bad shot off. Like they were buying each other terrible shots to basically to see who would win. And the winner was, I don't remember who it was, gave the other one McCormick Scotch, which is jug Scotch. And he was like, nope. Like he went, he like, he took a sniff of it and was like, nope, you win. I'm not even touching it. <laughs> uh, but in, Next season, next season, whenever Holly comes back in uh, Classy Christmas, mm-hmm. uh, he has Johnny Walker Black Label, which is okay, but I, I don't like mixed malt scotches, which Johnny Walker is. So, yeah. And who who the fuck puts Splenda <laughs> in scotch? Uh, well, because uh, is he drinking scotch when he's at David Wallace's place and he's drinking that thing from, yeah. Yes, yes, from Lee Iacocca. Well, and the thing with scotch is, uh, depending on how it's made, it can taste really different. You know, because if it's if it's really high in like peat moss, uh, it's it's like super smoky. I mean, and other times it's more like a general whiskey. So depending on which one you get, you know, whatever. But still, you don't do that scotch, man. At least good scotch, but. He didn't have good scotch, so maybe it's okay. I don't know. All right. No, hey, listen. It's important I learn these things. I've had a best damn cherry soda in the fridge for like five months uh, because I like soda. And I thought, hey, if I like soda, maybe soda will make me like alcohol. And um, it's fine, but I'd rather just a regular cherry cola beverage instead of this uh, monstrosity of a soda. And, yeah, uh, I I've never been able to do that. I mean, granted, I do like my booze uh, quite a bit, but I never liked alcoholic sodas, like hard sodas. Uh, no, like give me, yeah, I I just couldn't do it. Like even people like, oh yeah, Jack and Coke. I'm like, no, don't ruin my Coke. This is a good Coke. Give me the Jack, and I'll shoot it, and I'll sip on the Coke. Cause, sip on the Coke. <laughs> yeah, I you know I feel similarly. I'd rather take a shot of something because it's over quicker, and then I could just kind of. Enjoy my soda. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I've never been that kind of guy. Like, if we're gonna do mixed drinks, like, don't, don't, don't just do like liquor and soda. Like, I like a good Long Island that has a little Coke in it, but it's it's not a big, you know, it's not much Coke. 
I, I have many a memory of friends being very inebriated with Long Island iced teas from college because it was one drink but a lot of alcohol. Yes. Um, so I, I, aside from I, I know it doesn't taste anything like iced tea. That's all I know. No, no it's, it's very super yucky. yucky though, but <laughs> get out of here, man! Get out. Okay. Anyways, um, so eventually starts to Michael starts to look for jobs, and he's got a he's got a long list of all yep. of the head honchos in the area of places he could work. Um, so he dials a number and rings it, and we are introduced to a voicemail message from Prince Family Paper. And it's so sad. Like yeah. you can tell, like the guy's like starting to cry and. Yeah. Well, and then it ends with like his uh, granddaughter going bye, right? Like <laughs> cute little kid nonsense or whatever. But um, they have shut down because of Dunder Mifflin's efforts to take their customers. Um, and when we look back at Michael's list and he crosses Prince Family Paper out, it just says other companies. So his, his long list is not that long. Uh, right. And then, and he yeah, tries to go to a website. Uh, monsters.com right Judy shouts out it's monster singular <laughs> it's just like Dave fan thank you yeah. <laughs> um yeah so he starts um so he's he's looking for a job now and i think um at some point we meet this fellow on the couch who is there to interview for his position and as i said he's from far away and he kind of puts it in michael that like this could be it's a bad, bad move yeah right mm-hmm um, then we've got a B storyline here. There's ham with the printer or copier. So they have enough money to buy a very nice copier, uh, which, you know, as that's just one of those things you got to, I mean, this is a business. They have to use those kind of, they have to use those things. So, so I guess within a few episodes or, or uh, let's see. Uh, I guess so, within so, about a year or so, yeah, within about a year, they get new chairs and the new copier that they were debating about. Actually, yeah. no, it's the oh, surplus. It's the season, so December yeah. to that's episode March. 10. So five, four months. So they everyone got what they wanted pretty pretty easily. So, well, I guess presumably because they had a surplus on that budget that was ending that day. So this copier, I suppose, is part of the following year's budget. Right, it is. It is. But to your point, Oscar and Pam both won what they wanted. Right. Yeah. So so good job, team. Uh, but so Pam is tasked with the fun job of setting up the whole GD thing. So she's got this huge <laughs> book. She's on. You know, she's removing all of the fancy saran wrap and all the cracks and crevices. Um, and she's it basically would, just calibrating it for the office to use. It, you know, printers, they're, they're used every day in America. I mean, they're, we use them all the time, right? Even the good ones are still terrible. Like, I don't get how people can produce such shoddy things. Like, I cannot tell you how many times. You know, I work for a Fortune 500 company, you know, and... My printer works about half the time. Right. And we got one of those big ones, you know, like they sort of had it, you know, Dunder Mifflin. It's like, what the hell is going on here? No, it's true. I mean, we got two of them and one of them prints these mysterious yellow marks randomly on the paper as if there's a 
a tiny magical printer dwarf who has a highlighter and he's just all like highlighting random shit. <laughs> it's terrible, but it's a big ass printer and it costs a lot of money and it costs money to get tech support. And Hey, may- maybe you've got like a portal to another dimension in there and you just don't know it. And like you're getting, I don't want it. I just want a clean piece of paper. Maybe you're making, maybe you're just really ruining this elf's day randomly because be. his paper's just shooting through his dimension. <laughs> yeah, he's all like, oh shit, another paper. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's see. So Michael's looking for a job. Oh, so, okay, no. So Pam's doing this thing and Kevin keeps bothering her, right? He's, he keeps trying to use the damn thing and it's clearly not functional yet. Right. And uh, he, he says, uh, you said be ready today. And she's like, soon. And he's like, well, soon could be two weeks. Is that what soon means to you, Kevin? Sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> and then it'll be ready. Then come back soon. And she says it with that same kind of uh, vicious tone that she speaks to Jim in the surplus. Right? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, she's not having none. So she she's working at it, and um, eventually Dwight ends up coming by to help. Right, and we find out that he his German is mostly pre-industrial <laughs> and mostly religious. Yeah, um, even right, though we learn in like the next episode or in two episodes that he can sing uh, "Country Roads" in German. In German, yeah. <laughs> So Michael decides he's going to start the Michael Scott Paper Company. He's trying to get Jim's attention. So he's throwing through like a koosh ball, like a hacky sack. It was really weird. If you look in the background, I feel like there's probably a deleted scene for this. Mm. But Pam is holding this giant canister of what looks like some kind of pressurized gas. Right. Which I don't know why. Because, I mean, maybe I'm just not knowing things here, but I don't think you would put a giant can of some kind of pressurized gas in a copier printer. I mean, maybe I'm wrong there and people on Reddit and email can correct me, but it just does not seem like something you would do, but it's seriously like probably a foot and a half tall on her desk. She's just sitting there holding this canister. I mean, is it possible it's just an oversized air compressor? Maybe, but I mean, she's definitely, you can definitely see the binder of instructions on her desk. It has something to do with the copier. It just looked really out of place. Well, she's an expert. She, she She becomes an expert. Yeah. So, so I wouldn't question it, Jacob. You might, you might find yourself in the ground. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Because Pam's OG like that. OG printer. (laughs) Right. And so Michael comes out, he's like, yeah, he starts talking to Pam. He's like, oh, y'all are talking pillow talk. This is like 20 minutes later after he's been talking to Jim. <laughs> right. And, you know, he he does the whole, if I put this over you know, the label and it says Mike Scott Paper Company, uh, you know, would that work? She's like, yeah, probably would. Well, because she's like, you can Photoshop it and do all this like easy stuff. And he's like, okay, but what if I just use tape? Yeah. And this is another thing. Even back in like '09, you know, when this was shot, if you and you could also Google if you or even Alta Vista if you're in Pawnee, Indiana, uh, if you did that, Microsoft has 
a dozen different templates for purchase orders that are just free. I think that's it. Right. That's all you got to do. Right. Download them, put your name in, and you're ready to go. So, like, there's no, like, he's just, I don't know. He's being Michael and not thinking, you know? Yeah. Um, okay. I've been silent. I just pulled up the scene on my Chromebook here. Chromebook, give me money. I'm looking at Pam and this container. And actually what it looks like is uh, it might be ink. It's ink? Yeah. Well, because at least our <laughs> printers, you do the CMYK and they're all separate canisters. Uh, canisters is probably not right, but it's a big plastic cylinder. This looks really thick, but again, our printer is probably a bit cheaper than what they've got going. But uh, Man, I think that's, that's what it is. Of ink. It's a lot. It's a lot. I mean, that should last them a good amount of time. I mean, they, they should have the, to uh, What's it. the timestamp on that? Uh, 1525. All right. So if you're out there and listening and want to weigh in, 1525, I was, I'm assuming you're on Netflix. Yeah, that's right. Yep. On, the, on Netflix, 15 minutes and 24 seconds. If you can weigh in on what the fuck Pam is holding, we would very much appreciate it. Yeah, please. <laughs> Okay, so back to our regularly scheduled podcast. Uh, <laughs> uh, so we, and this continues over where where Kelly like she's just trying to run game on Charles Minor. Mm-hmm. Like she's like talking about how like she's got to go visit her sister and pick her up and leave early. They're super tight, like the Kardashians. Yeah, I mean it's like she is like not reading Charles at all. Oops. I feel like out of the two of them, Angela and Kelly, Angela probably has the better chance uh, because she acts like an adult woman. Right. And then, you know, Angela comes in wanting to go to this accounting seminar, which was really fun last year. Yeah. Well, that's the other thing, too, especially at a, I think, in a workplace romance kind of situation, having only known them him for a week. All Angela knows about the dude is that he used to be like all of his work stuff, you know? Right. So trying to like strike up the romantic conversation based on their accounting history as if that's like what lets the sparks fly. <laughs> and then we get the uh I mean the the iconic Charles Minor quote, right? Yes, I am aware of the effect I have on women. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's so good. He's just so deadpan. He's like, Yep, I'm hot. I know it. And I gotta say, Idris Alba does a very good American accent. I think it took forever for me to realize he was British. I think I saw him in Rock and Rolla and was like, oh, he has a really good British accent. <laughs> but he, he's a British dude. Yeah, I I, I think uh, I think this is really the first time I realized who he was was in this. Right. You know, I, I think I'd seen him in other stuff, but this is the first time I was like, oh, Idris Elba is Charles Minor. Right, right. Uh, that, then he went up to be like the yeah. most popular person ever. I know, I know. The next, uh, he won't be because of racism, but the next James Bond. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, so Michael's been escorted out, but he sneaks back into the office, right? Right. I think it's funny he brings Hank up. Yeah. Um, And Michael thinks he could, he's like, you're going to have Hank escort me, Hank? (laughs) Take Charles away, as if like he's a king. And Hank right. is like a palace guard or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but he gets escorted out and it's all very sad. He doesn't get to say his goodbyes or whatever. Um, but he comes 
back a crawling below the window line so that uh, Charles can't see him outside of the conference room. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> I know it's not. I mean, it's that's some athleticism on Steve Carell's part. It's not super easy to crawl that way. I mean, he was doing like the rolling. Oh yeah, he crawl, totes, but, yeah. Totes, he totes just ruined that suit. Yeah, done. it's gone. Um, so he is trying to go to the accounting department to get some paperwork. Um, Angela's not having it because apparently Angela, Kevin, Meredith, and Creed were not invited to join the Michael Scott Paper Company. I think right. that's and you know Angela would have would have. I really wish Michael would have asked her just to see her put down. Right, right. Because it would have been very snarky and very mean and hilarious, probably. Uh, which is probably why he didn't ask her. <laughs> didn't ask Kevin because he thinks Kevin's a dumb dumb, but uh, different. Uh, so he doesn't get the paperwork. Then he starts crawling through sales and he's trying to get people's attention. Um. And Jim still says no. <laughs> and eventually he is uh, leaned up against that weird little cabinet against the conference room. Mm-hmm. And he gives an impassioned speech about, are you doing the best you could do here? Um, you know, and this is a new start and, you know, all, all this stuff. But Pam has been having this conflict with the printer all day that some of these words are connecting with her on an emotional level. Right. She doesn't want to. She doesn't want to be doing pr- printers all day. Right. Right. Now she's just really good at her job because she could print fancy things now. And um, Right. So he, so Michael, in a desperate attempt to acquire employees for his budding business, he grabs Phyllis's chair and tries to very casually <laughs> yank her across the floor. Yeah. Um, you know, so Charles looks up and he sees Phyllis kind of like floating, struggling to, you know, not move. Um, and he comes out and Michael's on the floor and they have this altercation where it looks like Charles is going to beat the crap out of Michael. Right. Know. You know, I kind of feel bad for Charles Minor here because, you know, Wallace tried to prep him, but you also yeah. know there's no way in hell he was prepped for this. No, it's true. But I feel bad for... Michael, not because he doesn't deserve the aggression, but because he's so dumb, he doesn't realize that his actions are calling for Charles to be as mad as he is at him, you know? Right. Michael's like walking around and he's been at this place for 15 years and he's like, you know, like this is like my second home. So he's like doing what he does. Um, So to have like, you know, it's like if we were if we were kids and our parents were to kick us out of our home, you know? Right. So I, I feel bad for Michael a little bit, but he he, he deserved it. And um, if, if they were playing by flinching rules, Michael would get one for flinching. <laughs> <laughs> so Michael throws all the paperwork he stole on the floor and he walks out and Charles slams the door. It's all very awkward. But then Pam has this face of resolve. She's like, she's like, I can't. Like, was it? What'd she, she say? Well, she goes, uh-oh. Oh, <laughs> yeah. right. And Jim's like, what? And she's like, I'm going with him. And she runs out. Um, so Jim follows. And, you know, there's this nice moment between the three of them because, you know, they're our main characters. So that's why they had to do it. But Pam says she wants to come and she wants to be a salesperson. She doesn't want to be an assistant anymore. And Michael agrees. And Well, he's, he's like, she's like, I don't want to be a secretary. Okay, executive assistant. Right. As if it was like the name of the position was what annoyed her. Right. Um, you know, Michael's like, oh. Pam's like, all my stuff's upstairs. And Michael's like, are people watching? And they look up and the entire office is there, even Charles, right? 
Yeah, he kind of pokes. <laughs> um, so Jim says he'll get Pam's stuff, and Pam and Michael walk away. And uh, Jim's like, I'm still not going with you. <laughs> and even in that moment, too, I mean, again, Jim's already on terrible footing, but I feel like even just going outside at all, like, e- regardless of the fact that Pam is his fiance, Charles would also chalk that up to being like chubby with the enemy, you know? Right. Yep. Yeah, we, we kind of roll up the episode with uh, Minor giving this, you know, talk about uh, like, hey, I had some turnover from the time being. Kevin, you're on the phones. Stanley, I want you to be my productivity czar, which he only did because Stanley is black and he's black. Is that why you think so? I mean, that's what I think, yeah. I figured maybe it was because he was uh, one of the older folks in the office. I think we've established that Phyllis is as old as Michael. Right. Because of Creed's position, he wouldn't be considered for it. Creed's kind of like Toby in that he kind of works in a larger scope than just the office. Mm. Um, So I think Stanley maybe was because he was older. But you could go with he's black, maybe. I don't know. Could be. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but then so everybody leaves the room. And Kevin and Stanley just have this face like, oh, shit. Like, what do we get ourselves into? (laughs) Right, right, right. So what do you give in this episode? Um, It's a bit better than the last episode in terms of fun factor. Um, Though the sad sad moments are also there and also make me feel uncomfortable. (laughs) But I will, uh, you know, give it a little bit more props. So I'm going to give it a 3.3. Out of five, monsters.com. We, yeah, this episode is just, it's more set up. I mean, it's a a bridge episode. Right. I mean, it's really just how this is. It's a bridge episode. Um, So I give this a 2.9 out of five, tastes like Splenda. It's good, not great. It's a funny joke. We get the... um, you know, we get Michael Scott Paper Company started, it's more or less. Right. Michael's gone, Pam goes with him, et cetera, et cetera. Right. All right. So, episode 22, Dream Team. Um, this one is written by BJ Novak, directed by Paul Feig. Um, and what is really interesting is that this episode is one of the only episodes of the series to get a specific, like a really unique intro. Um, no, my God, I'm lying. It's okay. Jacob's not here. He doesn't even know. He won't even hear this part. I'm going to keep going. Okay. So it's not that, um, but, uh, that's the next episode. We'll talk about it. Don't worry guys. We're fine. So dream team, the premise is that Michael is now starting his company, and um, it's him and Pam, and they're going to go out and find the team that is going to make the Michael Scott Paper Company the super excess that Michael knows it's going to be. So Pam gets all dressed up, and uh, she heads over to Michael's place where she knocks. The door opens, and she is greeted by Michael in his robe. Um, but she asks, are you wearing anything else under that? And he... Uh He's like, oh, we're getting off topic. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, it's um, it's it's an awkward thing. Michael is definitely in the wrong here. He probably should have put pants on. Oh yeah, but I, mean, I, I don't know. know. Like, we've talked about we've talked about this before, but like, there's a weird thing there. Like, I don't know. Like, I think Michael wants to think that he would like that something would start and he would like turn her down. Or something. I don't know. Like, there's just something weird there between Michael and Pam. Uh, I, there, there is something weird between them, and I think Michael definitely would do Pam. But I think in this situation, I think he's more depressed than anything. So that's his depressed clothes. He's like, well, what's the point of putting pants on? But um, I, I digress. <laughs> uh, so. Charles is in charge of the screen branch now and he's in Michael's office and that's the whole thing. So this episode follows those two paths, Michael and Pam getting the dream team together and Charles and everybody kind of acclimating to him being the new official boss, which is right. They could find Michael's replacement, right? Because presumably he's still the sales director for all of the branches, right? Right. Um, But for, you know, he's fortunate enough to be able to be working in Scranton with all those fine people. <laughs> um, so Michael's having a lot of trouble, right? He uh, he's making French toast. Is that what French it's toast? toast. Yeah. Lots like, well, well, what uh, what shape <laughs> would you like it to be? Uh, square. I wonder if he's good at shapes. Like, if she had asked for something more complicated, would he have impressed us? I don't know if you had a, I mean, if you could pick a shape of French toast, what would it be? Well, so I have a, uh, a sugar skull mask on my uh, wall across from me. So I would say like maybe like a Halloween themed skeleton or something, <laughs> you know? Uh, and if you making- like, do you like layers and like carve it out or are you talking just like, like make it look like on the square bread, like a sugar skull mask. Well, so that's what I got. Right. It's fancy. Um, no, but I'm thinking, well, I mean, if this was pancakes or something, um, it'd probably be like a large cookie cutter shape that you pour the batter into. Ah, uh, okay. Mm-hmm. Because it's bread, uh, yeah, I would imagine maybe it's just the regular bread and then cookie cutted the shape out of it or whatever. Um, but he has no such tools. He's just a man with a mixer and tons of eggs and tons of bread. And uh, Yeah, there's like at least a dozen eggs in, yeah. in the bowl yeah. that... That he eventually, um, yeah. So I mean, I don't know why he asks, but because maybe he's like, I can make a rectangle by putting two pieces together. Um, so Pam tries to get him to stop. There's a there's a short but decisive battle over the mixing bowl, and Michael, you know, pour one out, gets eggs in his Crocs, <laughs> which is just like the worst thing. <laughs> He deserves it for wearing Crocs. Right. And so Michael starts freaking out because there's just so much to do, right? Which, yeah. you know, I can understand. In his position, he's got a billion things to do, right? And so it's hard just to say, okay, we need to do X, Y, then Z. Right. Right. Um, so Pam's like, let's make a list. And then make a list. And one of the first things on that list is uh, to acquire a sales team. So they're right. going to get some dream all-stars, team. a dream team. Yeah. Yeah, Vikram from the telemarketing and Ryan. And, of course, Pam rejects Ryan. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, Vikram is like a nice surprise. He says Vikram and they get him. And he's like, we got Vikram. <laughs> they got me. And uh, <laughs> and so he gets in the car and it's nice to see Vikram. He's a breath of fresh air. But Brian is the surprise. Um, he pulls over, uh, Michael pulls over at a bowling alley to use the restroom. And it's taken a long time. And Vikram says, is it possible he's bowling? And Bam is like, yes, it is actually possible. <laughs> He's so she goes inside to check and hopefully that he's not bowling. And we find out that Michael's talking to Ryan to convince him to work for the paper company. Right. Um, he's got bleach blonde hair. He's working behind the counter as a quote unquote shoe bitch. Uh, <laughs> and, um, you know, I, you know, things kind of come to blows and Ryan's like, F it, I'm out of here. So he grabs shoes for his, his friends, his saviors. <laughs> And apparently Pam is big fees. Like he looks at Pam's fees like, well, there's a men's size 10. I know. Cause Michael right after says he's only a nine or something. Right. Yeah. So uh, nuts. But um, so they take the shoes, they make it into the car. So now they've got their dream team assembled um, and they head off to the next point on the list, which is an investment meeting. Right. Um, so, well, before we get there, we'll hop back real quick, um, and we find out at the office that uh, Andy's doing his old yes man thing, and he has artfully put a series of soccer or football themed wallpapers. Um, right, doing what he does. Yeah, and gets uh, Charles's attention, and they have a little back and forth about how much they love the the beautiful game. I think it's referred to as right, and um, and Andy in the talking heads like, I hate soccer. You know, um, but you know he knows how to he knows how to play his boss as well. So um, everybody starts talking about how much they love soccer, and um, like Stanley's like clearly reading from a piece of paper at some point about how he loves Diego Maradona or something. Um, right? Yeah, yeah, they're all just sucking up to him, and <laughs> and then like Jim, you know, finally is, tries to take a stance. He's like, he's like, no, I'm not a fan. But um, when he starts to see like that, to like, play, right? yeah, immediately when it goes south, he's like, I'm more of a player. <laughs> Dwight noticing, obviously, this uh, riff between the two of them. He like really, he's like, you never oh, mentioned. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> he just, he jumps on it. And I do like that he, uh, like he just, he deserves it, right? Jim deserves it. And Dwight's like, he knows he has it. Right, right. And he's just going to like, Dig into it as best he can. So what ends up happening is that they decide to play soccer after work in the parking lot. You know, the women are in dresses. All the dudes are in suits or whatever. This isn't the basketball game that was organized. People right. come with duffel bags and can give each other nice sanitary baths in the sink. <laughs> um, you know, but they decide to set up some cones and play some uh, some football in the parking lot there. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's... Uh... It was crazy though, as you can see them. They 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 wrote or they drew a um, like a center field, and, yeah, like a center, yeah. right? So, so according to the internet's, Jenna Fisher's shoe size is an eight. I don't know if that's men's or women's, but if you're if you're Quentin Tarantino or similarly into feet, there you go. You're welcome. <laughs> Happy early Christmas. Um, eight. I don't. I don't really know. I don't understand the ratio of women's feet to men's feet. Uh, no. That's why I'm looking it up right now. <laughs> there it is. Boom. Um, I don't either. I just know I'm a ten and a half in Nikes because they do. They do like 
uh, switch, you know. Man, I'm 14, Jacob. That is oh, my shoe size. You're a big dude. I feel like a monster. So it's, it looks like it's two. It's um, it's plus two from men's to women. So men's size four is a six, a five is a seven, six is an eight, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Wait, so women's shoe sizes are larger compared to the men's counterpart right. in similar size? Mm-hmm. Not to so go on either... the whole thing, man, but this is the problem with women's clothing. <laughs> because by that rationale, Ryan's saying that Pam's got a size 10 men's means it's a size 12 in women's? No, no. Other, no, no, no. Other right, it's right, right, right. No, you're, you're right, right. He's that's crazy. Right. So there's going to be some lady walking around with size 12 feet and I'm size 14. And people are going to so, think our feet are almost the same size. That is a travesty. <laughs> and I want to know who I should be writing letters to. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. So either she has a size, a men's size six shoe mm-hmm. or a women's size 10 shoe, depending. So she has a women's size eight. She's got a men's six. So she does, I mean. I couldn't even tell you what the average foot size is for a woman. I don't even know for dudes. Not big into feet. Again, Quentin Tarantino, great guy to have on this conversation. He was busy this week, though. Couldn't get him on. <laughs> I didn't uh, know that was a thing. Oh, um, right. we're, sending, we're sending DMs all the time, you know. No, well, I didn't know. Um, <laughs> all the women's feet thing. Yes. Yeah, of course you knew about my relationship with Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> uh, oh, wait a second. So according to this, it's the other way around where women's are two sizes smaller than men's. Okay. All right. I still have a bone to pick about know. women's sizing. But apparently it's the average size... Oh no! I just read this wrong. Never mind. Oh my god! Uh, I <laughs> this is the most misinformation we've ever delivered on this show. Okay. American women, on the average, this is from USA Today, wear a size eight shoe. American men, size ten point five. So I am exactly average for men, at right. least in terms of Nikes. Great. <laughs> because like in Pumas, I have to wear like eleven and a half because they're they're cut funny, but. German okay, shoes. so we are way yeah, off topic. <laughs> okay, so Ryan is now part of the Dunder uh, the Michael Scott Paper Company, and we are heading to our investor meeting, right? Investment meeting. Um, we are meeting with a what is this woman's name? Um, this is Nana. I don't remember don't, her name though. Nana. Yeah, she does have a name, um, but essentially, it's a. The joke is that it's his grandmother, but the way it's pitched to the team there is that it is a um, a woman who invests in local business, right? Right. So it sounds good to the whole team, and they're good, and they show up, and Michael does an impassioned speech about how each member of the team brings something special and unique, and he really, uh, you know, as a successful doctor in his home country, he gave it all up to become one of the best lipofedrine salesman in the world or something. Right. And, you know, it's one of those things where uh, he, like, you could see him selling, you know, and he, like, you could tell he's practiced and he's just hitting every beat because listening to his pitch, 
it sounds really good, you know? Yeah. Well, until they start asking on the surface, assuming, you know, no financials or anything else, just on the surface, you've got former VP of a paper company, 15 years of experience as a regional manager of paper company, a high, a very, you know, a sales guy with a good track record, right? you know, and Pam, um, who is a go-getter. Well, but she's from Dunder Mifflin, which is like the top paper company or whatever, you know, it's all in the area. Right. So, yeah, I mean, on the surface, it sounds like a great deal. And then his grandmother just starts shitting on him all over the place. What's your mission statement? How much money do you have? You know, all things she should be asking. Well, that's the thing. It's not shitting yet. Those are really regular questions that he fudges up so poorly Mm -hmm. that then she has to shit on him. She takes down her adult diaper. (laughs) <laughs> deuces right over all of his dreams <laughs> more poop humor because you guys loved it so much from last week uh y'all will never be able to watch <laughs> that episode again without having a mental picture of nana shitting all on top of michael's face oh, well i didn't say face i said dreams but now the face is in your thoughts guys old lady poop um <laughs> But yeah, no. So she's like, you know, this is this is a bad investment. I mean, because even the actually, because I think what the straw is that breaks the camel's back is the old dude in that group says it's not a very large investment. They should just do it anyways, you know. Right. Um, and then Michael's like, actually, I'm gonna need a little bit more. And then that's when Nana's like, oh, right. he says, does he say a lot more? He does. He's like quite. <laughs> it's like a substantial amount more. So you kind of get the feeling that he was like, "Hey, I'm looking for like a thousand dollars or something, right?" Right, right. Instead of him, you know, but he really is looking for like ten thousand dollars, right? Um, so it doesn't work out. Doesn't get the money. They're all in the uh, PT cruiser heading back to, I guess, Michael's condo, where uh, Vikram starts to talk about how Nana had some good points. And what kind of name is Nana? <laughs> right. And once he realizes it, it means grandma's like, oh, your grandmother wouldn't even invest in you. Please drop me back off this. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, telemarketing place. So Vikram tries to give him a talking to, but they pull away and it's it's a whole thing. And we end up back at Michael's condo where um, Pam starts to lose hope. You know, she was the beacon in the beginning. Right. Um, but she's she she starts to reflect on the actual decision she's made by quitting her job that where she worked with her fiance. Um, she was in no danger of losing her job, realistically speaking. Probably. Oh no, she would definitely would have kept her job. Even yeah. There's, um, and uh, no, no one had problems with her job, like her doing it. You know, she was she was exactly where she needed to be to maintain the status quo. Hmm. Um, but she was feeling impulsive and she wanted to change things up. And honestly, I think it's, it's something that from this point moving forward and actually even from before, like art school, like a art show and stuff, you know, right. She has this very insightful speech about how she just gets bored and tries to do way too much. Right. And again, we've seen Pam kind of go through this now for the past couple of seasons where she's really not super stoked to be a receptionist anymore, you know? There's no there's no upward mobility for her in that particular position. Right. I guess presumably she could get elevated to corporate to be a more personal assistant like um David Wallace's assistant Kelly. And I don't even know if that's more lucrative though. I mean, yeah, I mean it, 
I mean, some executive assistant, you know, high level executive assistants make, you know, twice what I make. They make, right. you know, some of them for the really big wigs make hundreds of thousands of dollars a year right? or more, you know, I mean, they, they, they can, you can make very good money if you're very good at it and don't want a life. Right. Yeah. Well, that's exactly it too. Um, yeah. So I don't know, but I get it and she doesn't like it and she wanted to try something new and she felt comfortable with Michael, but now she's seeing it all fall apart right. within, within the day. Right. <laughs> And one thing, uh, boy, then Michael, you know, he, he saves the day. He's like, look, we quit. We got nothing. We, we can own, we can do this or you've got to go look for another job. One of the two. Right. Yeah. Well, he does that. And I don't know. To me, it seems like a little shitty too. He's all like, we can make Michael Scott paper company work or that's it. <laughs> like, obviously there's other options. Well, you I try mean, to it was job, very much but. a, you know, Cortez and burning of the ships, you know, you have to go forward now. Oh, sure. Right. I mean, yeah, that worked out really well for him too, right? Well, I'm just... <laughs> right. But that's, it's the same kind of strategy he's using. Yeah. Right. What's funny though is, so when they get to Michael's condo, and mm-hmm. something I don't think I've caught before is Ryan asks about him having TV and Michael says he has cable and satellite as, as a, a backup. backup. Right. What? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, we know that Michael has a hard time with money. He has a lot of money problems. Yeah, so this is this is a prime example because each one of those is probably hundred bucks a month, and you know he's getting the movie channels, so he's probably paying like three hundred, four hundred bucks a month for TV. Right. Yep. But he loves his TV. <laughs> I mean, I love my TV too, but I'm a cord cutter. <laughs> no, it's true. Yeah, no, it's, well, you know, he, he doesn't know the other ways. Right. Uh, but it's nuts. Right. And hopefully that's not Michael Scott paper company expenses that are, uh, yeah. as that, as well, that technically it's his money, right? Right. <laughs> uh, so we, we see him calling cause he, we, he gets a letter saying that he can't run a business out of his house. Right. Uh, so he ends up calling Billy who haven't, we haven't seen in a while, you know, the, yeah. the, and we, we see the hall closet that becomes cafe disco and the Dwight Schrute's gym for muscles and the play area for the kids. Right. There's all sorts of stuff that it becomes later on, but this like, it, it's a new location for the office. Uh, fun fact, this is the last appearance in any fashion of Billy Merchant, this character. Right. Well, by the end of, if I've got my timeline, yeah, by the end of next season, Dwight owns the building. Right. So there's no reason for him to uh, to show up anymore. So there you go. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no. So this is the first time we've seen this space that will become so important to the office moving forward. Um Oh yeah, gotta have your cafe disco. You you just gotta have it. <laughs> so um, yeah, so they get it, and it's a space, and it's not much, but it's something, and you know, it, it's you know, I think it inspires Pam a little bit more because now it seems to be a little bit more of a serious endeavor as opposed to you know Michael sitting in his robe with no underpants on making French toast. Right. Yeah, I would agree. Um, so is the last. Uh, 
the last shot is them putting the sign up, right? The, the lettering. Right. They're they're putting up the lettering and Charles comes down and is like, you're back. And Michael's like, oh, yeah, you can't take me down. I'm going to open a can of whoop-ass on Dunder Mifflin. A six-pack of whoop-ass. Yeah, and Charles walks away and, you know, Pam gets a little fierce, too. She doesn't really say much, but she's giving some stern looks. And I know you're a fan oh, yeah, of the she's eyes. She's throwing some shade. Yeah, she's throwing yeah. some shade. Um, you know, but it's nice. And, and there they are. And uh, we we did sk- we didn't go back to the actual soccer game. Um, but they are playing, and we find out that Jim has volunteered himself to be a forward, a striker, rather. Um, yes. So someone who's going to be handling the ball a lot, and he's saying he wants to pass the ball a lot. Um, so we see him. Well, he's saying he doesn't even want to be doesn't near the ball. To be near, yeah. Um, so much so that – so he's on the opposing team of Charles. Charles is coming at him, presumably to score a goal. And instead of blocking the shot, which isn't necessarily his job, but, you know, you use your chest – whatever headbutt the ball away if one were experienced in the ways of soccer um but jim takes another route and alternate route, ducks right gets phyllis pegged right in the face with the soccer <laughs> ball and i like how charles is able to like make everybody mad at jim for ducking when charles is the one who like wailed that ball you know oh yeah <laughs> he, yeah he, that was no like play play kick there that was yeah you know some you know some vicious stuff that I mean, because just, uh, what was it? Uh, I think it was this season also, but um, when Pam chucks that football at Meredith's head, you know, we're not mad at Toby, who didn't catch the ball. You know, we're mad at Pam, who threw the ball. So we should be mad at the kicker. It should be Charles. (laughs) Just like my woman's clothing, I will be writing a letter also. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so what are you what are you gonna give this episode? I think we've pretty much exhausted it. Yeah, no, this is a this is a good one. I think this uh, is each episode is getting better in this episode of our show. So I give this episode a three point seven out of fives. We got Vikrams. <laughs> uh, see, this is this is the ultimate bridge episode. Like it's the bridge between a bridge. Right. And like, so I'm just like, it feels like if they had re- done it as a two parter, it would have been better, or even mm-hmm. a, like a three parter. Like, if you had done New Boss, Two Weeks, and this, yeah, it, well, Dream Team, Dream Team, yeah, yeah, it's like one episode. It would make a lot more sense than having individual episodes. Uh, so this is I'm giving this a two out of five. Oof. Uh, square-shaped French toes, because I mean, because each episode in this picks up just picks up where the other one leaves off, you know. Like, I mean, directly it, where it leaves off. Well, yeah, in a much more direct fashion. But mm-hmm. all right. So your low rating is because the naming pattern's bad. No, I'm just I'm saying or it doesn't need closer. Or something, or make it more of an individual episode, because it really is just a bridge episode, is all it is. All right. It's not a bad episode, but I think it suffers from its placement. Sounds like it's not a great episode. It's just that's another that's three letters. I'm I'm huge money on postage this month, Jacob. (laughs) (laughs) All right. right, So lastly for the day, we have Michael Scott Paper Company, written by Justin Spitzer and directed by Gene Stupinski. 
Um, now, fun fact, when you stepped away earlier, Jacob, I totally botched the introduction to Dream Team because I erroneously attributed the opening, the credits of this episode with the credits of that Oops. episode. And well, as I was you saying, correct yourself? I did. And I said, Jacob will never hear this because I don't think he <laughs> listens this far in when he's editing, but I might as well cop to it now. Um, and I came to that no. conclusion because I thought about Ryan and I was like, oh shit, we don't even know that Ryan's a thing yet until this episode plays out. So I listen to every minute of every podcast I'm a part of. All right. Well, before you post it though? Not before I post it, That's but after. Monday afternoon, you would have been listening to it and you would have been loving the chemistry. And then I come in and I ruin the integrity of the show by my error. Whatever. It's fine. Well, okay. I mean, some inside baseball for our listeners. I don't edit anything out. There it is. Of the episodes. I mean, it is, like you hear everything. <laughs> All right. So it starts up with with uh, Michael rolling up in his PT cruiser. Right. Um, it's Britney, bitch. It's Britney, bitch. But he's listening to Lady Gaga. That's correct. <laughs> that is accurate. Which I did not get the, when this aired because I did not listen to Gaga at the time. But now you're a huge fan. You, I think you're one of her monsters, I think is how it's phrased. Yes. Uh, well, I would say I'm a medium-sized fan. So I'm like... Uh, you're an average-sized fan based on your shoe size there, sir. <laughs> I don't... Whatever, like, the middle layer of Pokemon evolution is, that's the fan I am. Okay. You're the Metapod of Kaka fans. Sure. Yeah, whatever that word is. Okay. Uh, so we, we see Michael trying to parallel park... There's like five spots in between him and this other car, and he backs into it. He's like, nope, too close. And then he backs into a super tight spot that used to be his. He's just like, he's like, you know what? I am not, I'm not letting, and no, he, he pulls straight into it. He's like, I'm, but I'm not letting him take my dignity away. That's like what he's doing in this episode. Uh, fun fact for that particular scene, one of the times that Steve Carell tried to crawl over the back of that PT Cruiser, he rips his pants. They should have kept that. <laughs> <laughs> they should have kept it. But uh, yeah, so that. He's got his giant thing of cheesy poofs. <laughs> well, because he does that thing, too. That's like that. I love when they do it. It's when Michael is just like a little bit out of his depth and like he's in a weird five seconds. So he curses, but he just says the F word. Mm -hmm. So like in um, Benny Hanna Christmas when he's trying to ride his bike into the office, right? And he mm -hmm. he hits it and he's like having fun, but it's just a little weird. He's like beep. <laughs> um, I, I could see that similar situation where he's trying to climb over this PT cruiser and has his profane moments just because he ripped his pants wide open. <laughs> oh, um, and the cheesy poofs. We've all eaten way too many work cheesy poofs. Yeah. So are the do the cheesy poofs? Are they uh, are they introduced in this episode? Yeah, As you like, see him holding it like he's carrying it when he's getting out of his PT cruiser. But they don't do their trick shots yet, right? That's no, no, episode. no. They don't do that. Yeah, until like, I'm guessing next episode because we haven't seen that yet. Uh, but so the intro of this episode, aside from that, like the musical intro is like the only time I can think of where they had a unique intro for a single episode, like in terms of totally reshot. Right. Right. And I remember watching this when it aired and thinking, what the hell's going on? Like, yeah. it really felt like they were, and I'm sure they did it on purpose, but it felt like they were transitioning away from the office to this new 
Michael centric thing against right. Thunder Mifflin. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it only plays during this episode because presumably you could see it playing for all of the episodes where Michael Scott Paper Company is a thing. Right, right. Um, but yeah, I'm pretty sure this is the only one. Yeah. Um, and we see uh, the only person we don't see live in the opening credits is Jim, who is seen via photograph. Right. But uh, we see Michael, we see From Pam. From golf episode. That's right. Um, and then we see Dwight because for whatever reason, he's using the restroom downstairs in the lobby and he almost walks into the Michael Scott paper company as opposed to the men's room. Right. Um, yeah, because they have a cafe down there where the security desk is, but that's not until Dwight takes over, right? No, but there's stuff down there. There's stuff down there? Yeah. It's just, yeah. It's just a little weird that um, you know, he does that. Anyways. Well, I mean, the bathroom's not that big up there, right? right? Yeah. And so... I mean, I could see that happening because there's definitely been times where I've had to use uh, use bathrooms on other floors because of, you know, or the bathroom was being cleaned or whatever. Sure. So. Right, right, right. Yeah, that's a good point. So, um, so, so we're now we're, we're at the two companies. Michael Scott Paper Company has been fully established, but they don't have any customers yet. Right. Um, um, and, okay, so... Another interesting thing is, like, we assume, because the way he's acting, that Ryan and Pam haven't seen the space yet. Right. And it's fully set up. So you assume that Michael set this up, like, over the weekend or something. Yeah. Right. Because they haven't seen the space with the furniture. Right. Because I think they saw it at the end of the episode. That's when they say this could work. But, um, yeah, I mean, so it's the first time we see that there's a poker table that will work as Ryan and Pam's desk. Um, there's the broken copier from upstairs that is now downstairs. Right. It has trash written on it, if I recall. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's a tight space. It's not great. Not ideal. And of course, hundred, it's 165 <laughs> square feet. So it's roughly yeah. 10 by 16. And, um, and there's also pipes that seem to be directly running from the men's room upstairs. Right. I don't know. I I don't think that is accurate based on the shape of the building. So I guess the pipes must run down to the floor and then horizontally till they get to that room. Right, which doesn't make a lot of sense. Right, because but... they're closer to the entryway of Vance Refrigeration's office because they're right next to the elevator. Right. Yeah, presumably. Yeah. So the men's room should be way off to the side, but. It's right, fun. and that's why that's why like if you look at a lot of buildings, yeah, uh, if you look at the floors, the bathrooms are on top of each other, so they can have one set of pipes. Plumbing. Yeah, yeah, right. So, and and often it's by the elevator for ease, ease of access and crap too. Right. But uh, so yeah, it, that really doesn't make sense. But we do hear Toby later <laughs> on a phone call, yeah. which is something I never picked up before. But he asks, uh, "Does blue go with tan?" I don't know. I'm trying something new and I don't really wear a lot of colors. <laughs> I know just how boring Toby is, which sets, which actually sets up. Um, oh, what, what episode is it? It's uh casual Friday. So like it right. sets up a joke for that. Yeah. Um, 
Actually, because Casual Friday is the episode where the Michael Scott Paper Company team is back at Dunder Mifflin, too, I think. Right, right. Yeah, it's their first episode back. And so we, uh, as always, uh, Kelly and Angela are still trying to get with Charles. And Kelly's just sitting on Jim's desk, just looking at Charles, talking nonsense to Jim. Right. And, <laughs> and so he says, Kelly, and you know kelly pops in he's like yes charles you want me and then aaron first appearance of aaron she pops in her name is also kelly right uh so he's like all right i'm gonna call you kapoor and i'm gonna call you hannon right so we learn and she's like oh well can we go by my middle name which is aaron which i like more so we learn that kelly's full name is kelly aaron hannon Ke- yes, that's right. Kelly Aaron Hannon. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, which is, you know, interesting. Yeah. It's never brought up again. She's never brought up. referred to as Aaron. Yeah. Yeah. She, yeah, she never goes, she gets called Kelly once in the entire run of the show. Yeah. Cause even her, uh, cause later on we'll see her, uh, is it her stepbrother or like her adopted brother or something like that? Or is it her uh, biological No, brother? it's, it's the, uh, there, there, there are no relations, but they were in a bunch of different homes together. Right. Um, and I forget what she... Maybe she doesn't refer to her by a name. Maybe it's all nicknames. But even then, Kelly isn't brought up again as a name for her. Right. And we're also right around the... I, wow. Okay, it's something I did not realize. But Kelly... Not Kelly. Aaron is around for more than half of the episodes. If you go by episode number. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, it's kind of crazy because she seems so. Like I could, she seems like um, Amy Adams in this episode. You know, like she seems right. like she could be in a stretch of them and then she'll be gone. But she's just there as like a romantic foil for Andy and um, Dwight later. Right, and I, I, she's not in a ton of like she's not a really big presence till next season. Right, that's right. But it did kind of. It did make me wonder if she was brought in and then kept. Right, because she was well-received or she jived well or something. Right. And another question is, because in this episode, she's got really, like, dark brown hair. She does, yep. So is she naturally that color or is she a natural redhead? Well, because in Kimmy Schmidt, she's obviously a redhead. And uh, later, later on in this show, too, she's a redhead. I think she is a redhead, and she just does that thing where she, uh, dyes it brighter than it really is or something. But I don't know. You're looking it up. That that uh-huh. so when I'm sitting here and I'm looking <laughs> at Jacob's screen, he does this looking off into the distance thing and that's when I realize he's looking into a monitor after doing a Google search. Uh, so you people who don't look at the YouTube channel also miss out on these concentrating Jacob faces. <laughs> uh it does it's not coming up quickly so i'm not gonna bother but so yeah you just kind of well because there's a picture of her in the intro for unbreakable kimmy schmidt and it's the only shot of ellie kemper as a child in that show uh-huh. and she's like wearing like a cowboy outfit or something giving a thumbs up and she's got pretty bright red hair in that shot so i imagine they weren't dying her hair at the age of like seven well, yeah, but like my older brother, he used to have like fire engine red hair, but now it's, you know, almost like Aaron's, the color of Aaron's hair in this episode. 
Right. So I feel like also not, you know, because this is like a big production, you know, fifth season of one of NBC's biggest shows at the time. um, Maybe Ellie Kemper also like dyed her hair because I think redheads are kind of like a particular, you know, I don't know. Like there's like a thing, like even um, Pam, who is supposed to be considered a redhead also has really muted red hair, you know? Right. So I don't you know never know, like, if we looked at her, like, IMDb, we might see that she was in something else nearby. Maybe she just had a different hair color for that, you know. Well, let me tell you, the first time I ever saw Ellie Kemper, she was, uh, man, what's, uh, do you remember Donald Glover's old comedy group on YouTube? I've seen, like, one or two of them, yeah. I forgot what they're called. But um, there's this one bit, and it's really awkward. Um, but essentially, it's a handheld camera POV of a boy looking down at Ellie Kemper, who is being very suggestive in saying that she would like to fillet his penis. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the bit goes on and that she doesn't really understand what dudes like. So she just describes super uncomfortable things. That she will do, like use teeth and sandpaper and dryness and terribleness, right? And the guy's like, no, that doesn't sound good at all. And she doesn't get it or whatever. Anyways, that's the first time I ever saw her. So it was a bit – and I read in subsequent interviews after that it was really important that she wasn't just remembered as blowjob girl, which may be what that YouTube video is called. Uh, Search at your own risk though. Yeah, the only the the one I remember most from Donald Glover's thing was the the bro rape episode. Bro rape. Yeah, bro rape's classic. Childish Gambino like... references bro rape often, <laughs> which is his alter ego that he got by putting his name in a Wu Tang name generator. <laughs> I am full of TILs from Reddit today. <laughs> okay, so now that we have talked for twenty minutes about other stuff. We come back to the show. So Kelly uh, Kapoor, we find out Kelly's middle name is Rajanaganda, which right. Kevin is like, <laughs> I thought Rajanaganda was a boy's name, which is also really great. Yeah. Uh, and I also feel sorry for Erin because she immediately starts getting hit on by Andy and Dwight. Yeah. You know, I I felt like when I first watched it, I thought it was kind of funny. But like as I was watching it just a couple of days ago, I was like, this is awkward. Like yeah, it's very, yeah, very I mean, she, weird. Derek comedy, that's what it's called. Um, but yeah, no, presumably she's also very young. She was 25 if we assume she started the job around the same time Pam would have started the job. Right. Um, so it's this 25-year-old girl talking to these two 30-something-year-old dudes who are like clearly like trying to get up in her business. Right, and she's got this look on her face like a pure fear. Like yeah. she just looks afraid. And like I'm just part of me is just still like, how the fuck did she date Andy? Like just how? Like it's yeah. not well, you know what it is? I don't think it's like just fear. I think there is also some Michael Scott innocence, which is how I think they developed that father-daughter relationship later. Um, because I also think she's naive enough to not fully understand that she's being hit on. And I think that's what makes me feel uncomfortable. Is that she thinks these dudes are like being nice and friendly, but like they're like half chub away, you know, <laughs> messed up. <laughs> well, I mean, definitely for Andy, at least according to Dwight. 
That's right. <laughs> yeah, my God. I'm not mistaken. I saw a little blood rushing yeah. to your penis. Yeah. <laughs> That's great phrasing from Dwight. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, so there's uh, Dwight tells his creepy ghost story and pokes her shoulder. Andy does that terribly awkward dance, I'm in your way thing. Does he call her McGonagall? Like, isn't it somebody from Harry Potter? If I, if... Yeah, yep, that is. Yep, I, I forget that. I didn't know that he referenced that, but that is definitely a lady from Harry Potter who turns into a cat. <laughs> FYI. Okay. Um, so that's all happening. It's terrible. Back right. at the Michael Scott Paper Company. There's a little bit of a job discourse because Michael needs a copy of a flyer and uh, Ryan and Pam refuse to do it. Well, you're right. And, and this is like we get like full on douchebag Ryan. So he he's like, look, and so he's like, you're better at it than me. And she's like, what? You're like, he's like, what? How's that not? How's that a put down? I just said you were good at something. And. He's like, I could run GM, but I can't fix a car. Right. Or he could not run GM, obviously. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it's just like he's like, one's not better than the other. She's like, well, one sure sounds better than the other. Yeah, I gotta say though, I think this is my. So Ryan, like Pokemon, has phases and evolutions, right? Right. So I would say Temp Ryan is my favorite Ryan. Proper Temp Ryan, right? First um, temp Ryan. Yeah. Season one, season, season two. Season one Ryan. Right. Um, even full time sales Ryan in season three. Also fine. I think they are it that's just a natural phases of Ryan until he becomes promoted, right? Right. Then post Thailand Ryan is my second favorite Ryan. The bleached hair, he is much more like a college kid, right? All disheveled and Yeah, yeah. Really great. Um, but then we've got you know, VP of sales, Ryan, who has a beard. And then we also have hipster Ryan. Right. Um, and those, those are the big sweeping m- moments of Ryan. So this, we're, we're, and he's pretty much hipster Ryan season six through now. Right, right, right. right. Um, and there's, there's sprinkles of Ryan phase three here where, you know, he just shows kind of like a lack of care and kind of like an overly youthful, outlook on things or whatever but um mm-hmm. i i like i like ryan coming with a bag lunch and leaving work to go catch a ride with his mom <laughs> it's a great one yeah yeah uh, um, but pam doesn't right. want to do it because she doesn't want to fall into that secretary right which sucks because she likes making copies they come out all warm it's terrible uh, um and then we also kind of explore the tightness of that space um, right, a couple you times. All these different phone conversations, yeah. and P is not as much fun without Jim. Apparently, <laughs> yeah, he's also being a giant B. Giant B. Uh, P is also a six in New York and a seven in Scranton. Uh, which I think I would up those numbers. And, oh yeah, yeah. I think she'd probably like an eight in New York, and probably like a nine or ten in Scranton. But and she's a ten on this podcast all, every day. There it is. Boom. Add it to Jacob's wiki. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, so Andy and Dwight are fighting over Aaron here. And then, of course, we get the famous uh, duet, the banjo acoustic guitar duet. Um, it sounds pretty good. Although, I got to say, and maybe so, you know, there are instances where you care about things that are too corporate and boring to me. Right, Jacob? 
Okay. <laughs> there's so there's an instance here which may be too musical that you may find boring. But Dwight is playing his guitar and Aaron's impressed, and then Andy comes in with his banjo to impress Aaron, and he comes in at a totally different key. Still playing the same song, but different key. I figured it's because Ed Holmes knows this particular solo in this particular key, but it bugged the shit out of me. I was like, why? <laughs> what are you doing, man? Because then later on he plays with Dwight and it sounds right. But just the solo, out of key. What's going on? Letter number four. But I mean, Andy also likes to go high as well, you know, with his That's voice true. and everything else. So it might just be an extension. Yeah, he, uh, he wants to really showcase his falsetto. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. That's fair. You, you sold me. Never mind. I retract that letter. It's, and it's not the first time that he's tried to impress a lady a with a banjo and a falsetto. A banjo. Yeah. This, and if, if my trivia, if I remember my trivia right, the banjo is the only instrument to originate in the United States. Well, all right. Nobody fact check that. <laughs> Let's just take it as truth and move on. <laughs> Let us be right one time on this show, please. <laughs> All right. So uh, Michael Scott Paper Company is having a pancake lunch. Mm-hmm. Why a pancake lunch? I don't know. Why not like a lunch lunch? Right. Uh, but Michael is making paper-shaped um, pancakes. Pancakes. Are, uh, just big rectangular pieces of pancake, basically. Yes. And you know, Creed's like, these are awful. You gotta make them circles so they they cook right. And he's like, I don't want these. He pulls like three or four of them out of his jacket. Yeah, and puts them down. Thick stacked pancakes. Yeah. And Meredith is like, I'm gonna take these for my kid, not kids, kid. Right. right. And so we keep hearing about this second child, who I think is just like fully retconned at at some point. Yeah, I'm. Uh... I'm looking it up. Let's see. She could keep talking, but um, Meredith Palmer. You know, and so. Uh, oh, here we go. Her daughter, Wendy, the good one, lives with her ex-husband. Uh, okay. Which we find out in the webisodes, The Accountants. So if you haven't checked those out, you should, because they're funny. But anyways. I've never, I've never, well, I meant to when they first aired, but I never did. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so sort of the B storyline in this episode is Jim's rundown. Charles is like, Hey, I want, I want to give you a rundown. I want to run down of your clients, you know? So Jim spends this entire episode trying to figure out what the hell a rundown is. So what is a rundown, Jacob? I mean, I would assume cause I mean, I mean, rundown is pretty innocuous term. It could be a right. bunch of things, but I would just assume it would be like, Clients, uh, you know, basically just like stuff about the clients, like a like a quick sheet of of his whole yeah. customer list, right? Like company name, company size, average volume of sales, last time ordered, contact info, that kind of thing, right? R- right, yeah. I mean, yeah. that's what I assume. My wife asserted that uh, this was because Miner didn't want he wants you know, sent to somewhere in corporate that he was like going to fire Jim and just outsource his clients Uh-oh. to other people. That's what my wife thought, which not the worst thought ever. Yeah. 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 Cause presumably he didn't ask any of the other sales reps to do it. Right. And there's, there's no way, in, but there's no way in hell Wallace would have let 
minor fire Jim. Wallace yeah. likes Jim way too much. Yeah, what's that episode? Uh, I don't know, but two episodes from now when they start doing the negotiation uh, about you know the end of Michael Scott Paper Company, it seems like that's the first time David finds out that Charles doesn't trust Jim. Right, right, right. Because he tries to bring in Dwight as his number two for that meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so we meet a guy. So Michael does all this stuff for the the luncheon and everything. And someone asks for a card, and they don't have cards. You would have figured that Michael would have had cards made. I mean, even Vistaprint will give you free business cards using a template, and you just have to pay for shipping. Right. I mean, I, uh, I mean, granted, maybe he wouldn't go to Staples, but I got business cards, like 100 business cards made same day, multicolor, 100 of them for like 12 bucks. Yep. So... Yeah, I mean, I just think it's one of those um, one of those weird oversights by Michael because Michael doesn't seem like he'd be the guy that wouldn't have that, right? Um, but yeah, I think that is exactly what it is. It's an oversight. Like Michael just is like in so deep he doesn't even realize, you know? Right, and so we see Pam like. Everything is looking really down. Like she's annoyed with Ryan and Michael and she goes back upstairs like, hey, Charles, can I have my old job back and all this other stuff? Yeah, it's real weird. And Charles is like not even going to put up a pretense for it. He's like, Aaron has your job. It's that's what it is. Thanks for trying. Right. And so uh, she she goes back downstairs and the phone rings and Ryan won't answer it and she picks it up. And it's someone wanting to buy paper. The right. first customer of the Michael Scott Paper Company. Yep. So I kind of wonder what would have happened if Ryan had picked up the phone and made the sale. Does like does it change the course of history? Like, does Ryan ever make a sale? Ever? In the entire course of the show? Because we don't know that he That's does at Michael Scott Paper Company. Yeah. Presumably he never made a sale prior to him being promoted, right? And then at the short time, Michael Scott Paper Company's there. And ultimately, too, like to your point, because Pam made that sale, Ryan is the one who doesn't get to keep his job when they get absorbed by Dunder Mifflin. Right. Right. So presumably he didn't step up there either. Right. Because he went back to being a tent. Right. Right. And I mean, I don't know the exact timeline, but in, well, I mean, yeah. Well, we don't know if he made sales in season three or not. Right. They never say explicitly one way or the other. So he might have. So it could be wrong. But so but Ryan's douchiness kept him from going back into sales. I mean, but he does say even in this episode that he was bad at sales. Oh no. He says it when he's the boss. He tells uh Michael, he's like, I was bad at sales, but I'm good at managing people. Right. Um so, so another interesting thing we learn is that Ryan has asthma. Because uh-huh. he has an asthma inhaler on the poker table. So that's right. a fun little uh, and there's a great quote from Michael. like, who would have thought the thing that would say this company would be work? Yeah. And yeah. And so we, we close out the episode with Andy trying to convince Dwight that every song is better acapella. Right. I know. And like, the, he doesn't even provide like points to prove his statement. Right. He's just going, enter Sandman. Oh, way better acapella. And that's it. Everybody just moves on. Yeah. Jerry Pa. 
Oh my gosh. Um, let me just try to see if there's any worth notes. Let's see. Oh, here's some goofs, Jacob. Okay. Uh, in the episode Goodbye Toby, Michael says every year he receives money from his grandmother, and in recent years he has been receiving multiple checks. He right. Be- we talked about that. Like, is it the same grandmother? Right. Right. So, or yes, or it's a retcon, one of the two. Uh, Dwight tells Aaron that there's a ghost in the office. He stated that a prostitute was murdered on on the floor of the building in 1816, but according to an earlier episode, Scranton was founded until 1866. Um, okay, but that's like, who cares? Right. <laughs> that's not right. There's it. no way that building was built in the 1800s. Right. No way. No way. Unless oh. it was just like he was referring to like the site. Right. Used to be a brothel. Um, the Evite information for the Michael Scott Paper Company Pancake Luncheon is shown on Michael's computer. It says the event is on Saturday, yet everyone in the building is at work. And nice. the last one is Dwight and Andy incorrectly sing the chorus to Take Me Home Country Roads as Take Me Home Country Roads to the Place I Belong, rather than the correct Country Roads Take Me Home to the Place I Belong. I feel like I just read the same thing twice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you did. So what do you what do you give oh, this episode? It's switched. It's take me home country roads is what they saying. It should be country roads take me home. Ah, uh-huh. okay. So okay, what would I give it? Uh, I'm going to give this episode a three point four out of five uh, square pancakes. Bitch, sorry. Uh, <laughs> That's what you get for asking me okay. first, bro. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I'm going to give this a uh, a three point five out of five. I like I like this section of episodes where Michael's being more entrepreneur, entrepreneurially, mm-hmm. yeah, whatever that word that I cannot say, uh, and everything. It's so uh, three point five out of five. Um, Scraps of paper, <laughs> giant thing of cheesy poofs. There we go. All right, so. Uh, we're part of the Broken Jars Broadcasting Network. You can find us at uh, brokenjars.xyz. You can find our Patreon, uh, broken uh, patreon.com forward slash broken jars. There's a bunch of fun rewards there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can check out the newest show on the network, The Long Haul, if you're into gaming and have kids. It's about parenting and all that good stuff. Um, we're on Reddit. So reddit.com forward slash r slash Dunder Mifflin. We'll be posting there. We also post on whatever our Reddit is, which I can never remember. If you want to email us, brokenjarsbroadcasting at gmail.com. You can hit me up on Twitter at at Jacob Ingalls. Yeah. So in all the show, all the links will be in the show notes down below. So yeah, check them out. That's it. That's all I got. Bye. Bye, Bye guys.